Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff of Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Today's message is from Sunday, July 25th, 2021. The sermon title, Forgive Us Our Debts, a continuing study in the Lord's Prayer. But it's a joy to be with you. Uh, it's a joy to be back from Romania. Uh, and I love, like, I don't know about you guys, but the sound of rain hitting the roof is just like, oh, this, this is home. <laughs> and uh, in Romania, the, the weather was very much not like this. It was 30 degrees Celsius, sunny, and just very not good for gingers at all. And so I'm just like glad to be back. Uh, the wedding went really well uh, with uh, Roger and Birta. So they are married now. Uh, both said yes. So that's a good thing. And uh, yeah, we can't wait for them to be back. They're going to spend some time uh, visiting some castles and amazing things there in Romania. And then they're going to come back here a couple of weeks from now. And, and hopefully we will all be able to give them a hug then and not just stare at them awkwardly with a mask on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're dwelling on the Lord's Prayer. And so maybe we just start by, by reading again the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, the context is the disciples come to Jesus and they ask, will you teach us how to pray? And one of the things as you read the Gospels is you see that there's a regular part of Jesus's ministry is he goes by himself and he prays. Sometimes he takes the disciples with him, but it's regularly talked about he goes into the desert. Sometimes it's translated that way. It doesn't mean he went to the Sahara or something like that. It was just a place where no one else was, no one lived uh, but he prayed regularly before they would wake up and so on and so forth. And then they ask him, will you teach us how to pray? And he teaches them this prayer called the Lord's Prayer. It says here, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So before we go into the rest of this sort of text, let me, I'm messing this whole thing up here. Um, I, I want to I wanna take you back. When I was 17 years old, I was living in the, in the U.S. And one of the things that I would do back then is I would live with a bunch of guys as roommates. Uh, I think... I, any of you got like weird roommate stories? Uh, I, I know we have some soccer girls here. So yeah, some weird roommates that you've had to dwell with. Well, 17 years old, I had never really lived with anyone except for my family at this point. And I got this weird roommate. Joss, if you're watching online, I'm so sorry, but I have to throw you under the bus. You are weird and your wife would agree. Um, so uh, Joss was my roommate. Um, he would get these weird, like he would wake up at 3 a.m. and decide it's now time to shave his head for some reason. And he would do it in our room that's got carpet everywhere. And it's just, it was messy and strange. And then, um, and then he would, he would be constantly watching these like Russian workout videos because he had kettlebells before they were cool. And apparently they were all Russians doing those workouts back then. Um, and then he would want to wrestle me, just like totally attack me and wrestle me for like an hour straight until I have no energy left. Anyways, 
One of the things that Joss was obsessed with at this time, he had a huge poster of Mount Everest and he was determined to be one of the guys to conquer Mount Everest. And he would regularly host free lectures in our bedroom to an audience of one, that was me trying to fall asleep, uh, about different routes you could take up the mountain, pointing to the map, uh, different exhibitions that have gone up there, some with uh, oxygen, some without oxygen, which is just insane. Um, how to get, you know, acclimatized, which is a word I only know because of Joss. Uh, and what type of gear you'd need to actually make it up that mountain and how you'd need to you know, go up to one base camp, go back down, go up, go back down, let your blood thicken with, I guess, blood cells or something that carries oxygen. And then, uh, you know, I was, I was listening to his, him doing these lectures. And one thing I realized, and one thing I took away from this, once you get to the top of the mountain, everything becomes difficult. Like each step, he, he would play these videos of guys describing what the last steps were like. And it was like one step, breathe 10 times. Another step, breathe 10 times. And I realized at that moment is what you pack on this journey uh, really matters. Because there at the very end, you're going to feel every single extra gram that you packed. And you, you don't want to have too little and not have enough to survive top, but you also don't want to pack too much at all because you feel those extra grams and each step would become more difficult. Well, for this week, we are dwelling on the Lord's prayer and we're dwelling on these words, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I don't know about you, but I, when I hear this prayer, I'm thankful to Jesus for his forgiveness over me. I am regularly reminded of just how often I fail to meet my own standard for what I want to be like in life, let alone God's standard. And it, to dwell on forgiveness is amazing. And there, I, could, I could take this so many different directions. Forgiveness over our apathy, forgiveness over our just, yeah, being so easily entertained and distracted, forgiveness over our pride, uh, so many different things. But what I see here in, in these short, uh, this, these few words, it's actually two things. Number one, we have a pleading. And then secondly, we have a promise. We have a pleading for forgiveness on one hand, and then a promise on the other hand to extend that forgiveness uh, that we receive to others. Like, notice that it, it does not say... You know, forgive us as we will also try to forgive others. But rather, it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, so as you look at your life, and if you think about your life as a picture of a sort of great mountain climb, I want to ask us this question today. What is it exactly that you're packing on your trip called the journey of life or whatever? Will it actually benefit you in any way or will it be something that's only there to weigh you down, to slow you down um, and not help at all? Because one of the most common items I think that people bring with them on their great life adventures that actually give no benefit to our lives at all and only adds to the burden of life is bitterness that's rooted in unforgiveness. And on the other hand, a lot of people deal with guilt because they don't understand the grace of Jesus. 
And you can, you can see this inside the church and outside the church, unfortunately. Sometimes there's very little difference, which I would love to not be the thing here. I want us to uh, not be living in bitterness, and I want us to understand the grace of Jesus. Now, first, Jesus, he's teaching his disciples to pray, and he teaches them to pray, forgive us our debts. Um, now, what exactly are debts here? Um, what Jesus means is a, a sort of a biblical word that's called sin. And it's not very popular today other than churches. Uh, sin is, is also, I, I guess, kind of misunderstood. So the root word behind the Hebrew word for sin, so the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the old the root word for the Hebrew word for sin is actually an archery term. That's someone shooting uh, an arrow and missing the mark. So the idea that I think is trying to be conveyed here, when we say sin is actually when we miss the mark of what is designed for us to do and to live like, that's what we mean. That's what Christians are supposed to mean when we say sin. And Jesus is saying, forgive us our sins that we have committed against the Holy God. Now, you may stop here for a moment and say, wait a minute, I may have sinned in my life. I may have stolen something, for instance, but I never committed a sin against God. That was, I hurt another person. I took their property. But what the Bible says is actually when we sin, we do sin against, yes, other people, but we also sin against God. Because in our stealing, for instance, if we just run with this example, when we steal something, we're, we're actually breaking God's own very creation. And it's like me saying, well, you know, I keyed Elliot's car outside. <laughs> it's like, well, I didn't attack Elliot. It was his car that I attacked. It's like, Elliot might disagree with me. <laughs> he might take that very personally. Why did you key my car? But when we attack, when we steal, for instance, we are attacking God's very own creation. And also in our stealing, we've gone against the law of God. And when we go against the law of God, in effect, basically what we've done is we've challenged the authority of God. Either we're saying to God, I am equal to you and I can say what's right and wrong for me or I'm above you and you should conform to me. And whatever I deem to be right, you should think is right. And whatever I deem to be wrong, you, God, should deem to be wrong. And unfortunately, this is a very popular sort of religion today. When you read the beginning of the Bible, you see that God created us in his image. And basically, ever since then, ever since the sin came into this world, we've been trying to flip that picture. We've been trying to convey God in our image. All of a sudden, I have a God that's basically my pet. He's just, he wants to just cuddle all the time, and he agrees with everything I think and everything I want to do. But in effect, when we've challenged the authority of God, when we've sinned, we've basically said to God, you are equal to me or less than me, and you need to change your attitude and your opinions. Now, one thing that the, the Bible teaches us, it's this radical uh, idea that the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in our act of theft, for instance, if we just run around with this one example, you have sort of contributed to the brokenness and decay of a creation 
You've caused brokenness to flourish and you've caused flourishing to break. Like right now, we're seeing a lot of sort of flowers come and they're beautiful, but imagine someone just going around just as they're about to blossom and just sort of breaking them. In our sinning, we are actually contributing to a broken world. As we step further and further away from God, who is our life, think about this with anything else. If we shut off all the lights in this room and there was darkness outside, if there was one lamp on stage, when we walk away from that lamp, we assume that darkness is going to take over because we're getting away from the source of light. If we are close to the radiator and it's just cold everywhere around us, of course, when we're close to the radiator, we're going to feel the warmth. But when we walk away, coldness is going to take over. But why don't we expect this when we actually walk away from God? who is the giver and sustainer of life. When we walk away from God, we're taking a step closer and closer to death and to chaos. And with our one act of sinning, not only have we personally taken a step towards death and chaos and decay, but we've actually contributed to the messed up nature of a broken world. So I don't know about you, but as I grew up, and I would hear my dad preach a lot, I would always wonder, you know, one of the biggest questions I had was, God, if you're good, why don't you stop evil from taking place? Why don't you just step in and stop this thing? And one of the things when I realized this, that I'm actually one of the contributors to evil in this world, is I realized that if God wanted to stop evil, the whole earth would be vacant. He would have to stop me, stop you. Stop our contribu- uh, contributing to evil and brokenness to flourish in this world. And so uh, actually, it's, it's weirdly enough, that question as personal and difficult it can be is actually points to the grace of God and him being patient and saying, no, I'm going to give them more time to run to me. That's crazy. It just blew my mind when I started to really think about it. This one act of sinning, and this one act, you've, you've already sort of gathered up a debt that you can never repay. You can never make this right. In this one act of sinning, just once, you are no longer perfect and you cannot make yourself ever again perfect. And if we want to be with God, if we want heaven where there's no brokenness, when there's no death, where there's no weeping, We want perfect creation. We realize we must be perfect to be there. Here's the thing. The law can be fulfilled in in two ways. You can fulfill a law by not breaking it in the first place. So I was in in Romania this week. Have you ever been, anyone been to Romania in here before? So it's funny, man. The, The street signs there are are not taken seriously at all. They're like suggestions, I guess. Not even suggestions. They're suggestions to drive at least 50 kilometers above what the street sign says. And so there would be a street sign that says 30 and people would go in 80 kilometers per hour. It was crazy to watch. Um, but we could, we could fulfill a law by not breaking it in the first place, which does not happen in Romania, by the way. Or there's another way to fulfill a law by paying the debt that you've accumulated. Anyone recognize that? Like, 
oh, there was a camera that caught me somewhere. <laughs> and I got a bill in my bank account. That's one way you can fulfill the law. You can pay the debt that you owe. And now justice has been fulfilled. Now, in our case, what is the punishment for breaking the law? If we want to be with a holy God eternally in a perfect world, it means we must be divorced from him in hell forever. That's, that's the only other way. If we want to justify ourselves and do this in our own might, and, and remember in Romans 3.23, the Bible tells us, because we've all failed, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're unable to fulfill the law by not breaking it. We've already failed that test. So the only way, if we want to do this in our strength, is to simply take the consequences. Let's pause here for a moment. Because in our text today, Jesus is teaching us to pray this. Forgive us our debts. Now, if God is just, he has to punish evil, Right? And we've contributed to evil. So how is he going to forgive us our debts if he's supposed to be just in the first place? And that's exactly why we're here. That's exactly why we celebrate Jesus. For the longest time, I, I had such a difficulty understanding why we have a cross as our symbol. That's a Roman execution device. Why are we singing about a cross? <laughs> Why do we make a movie called The Passion of the Christ that was two hours of just my hero being humiliated and murdered? Like, what? how can we call this good news? Because we're here to celebrate the life of Jesus that was perfect, who didn't accumulate debt. We're here to celebrate his death because he died on our behalf. And we're here to celebrate his re resurrection. And I know if, if, you're not, if you're not a Christian in here, it's like, well, resurrection, that's kind of weird. It's like, yeah, it doesn't happen every Wednesday. That's why, that's why we're celebrating it, because it happened that one time with that one guy called Jesus, because death could not hold him. He had no debt. The wages of sin is death, and he was perfect. You see, there is one other way that the law can be fulfilled, that if, if someone who is innocent and able to pay the debt would come in our place and pay the debt that we've accumulated. That's where Jesus steps into the picture. Because forgiveness always comes at a cost. Like, uh, so when I came back this week, I have a... I have a whiteboard in my office. I was talking about tennis to make a whole like wall, a whiteboard in my office, because I was just imagining I would spend all the time just thinking out loud and writing on this whole big wall of whiteboard. And I have this tiny whiteboard in my office, and I ever, I don't really actually ever use it that much. It's mostly got like art uh, from my kids on there. But I come back from Romania. I haven't been in the office for a while. I sit down there, and I was going to use it for the first time in like three weeks. I was like, okay, I need to use the whiteboard for this, to write this out. And uh, I get there, and I realize all the whiteboard markers uh, have, have no caps on. So while I was away in Romania, they, my kids were busy doing art on the refrigerator and uh, windows and everything else. And they, no, they don't put the, the caps back on unless I'm there, like putting them on afterwards. So I go and confront my kids about this. I'm like, kids, this can't happen. This is bad. 
this shouldn't happen. And, and Segaros sort of got her puppy eyes saying, I'm sorry. And I tell her, okay, I'm just going to forgive you now because I'm preaching on forgiveness and I don't want to feel like a hypocrite. Yeah, but no, I'm just kidding. So I'm like, okay, this is good. Just, you know, like try to, try to not allow this to happen again. So if we think about that scenario, there's forgiveness taking place, definitely. But the cost doesn't just magically disappear because I decide to say, I forgive you. Someone always pays the cost. Like, I'm simply saying, when I say, I forgive you, I'm saying, I will absorb the cost of the damage that you have caused. So forgiveness always comes at a cost. And uh, someone always has to pay the cost. It's only a matter of who. And Jesus, in his forgiveness, offers himself and says, I will. I will pay this cost. And the question that's left for us is simply, will you let him or will you go down a road that only leads to eternal agony? Will you let him pay the cost or will you live with the consequences of being divorced from God eternally? And this is actually what blows my mind. It's Jesus here. He's actually encouraging his disciples, and by extension, he's encouraging us to pray for our own forgiveness, knowing that the only way for this to actually take place and this prayer to be answered is for him to die a horrible death on a cross on our behalf. He's teaching them to pray this, knowing what the cost entails, and still saying, freely ask for this. He's telling them to plead for forgiveness, realizing that it will result in his mockery, his pain, his sacrifice, and him absorbing cost and the wrath of God for my sin. He didn't have to do any of it. And yet he asks us, and when, when he teaches us to pray, he teaches us to pray, forgive us our sins. That's a radical love. But one thing we have to realize, though, that if he pays a debt that we could never pay, then we have to realize that we can never earn this type of grace. We can never pay for this gift. We can never, I mean, if, if I use all of my energy, all of my mind from this day forward to just glorify him constantly, which is not going to happen, I'm going to walk out of here today and probably mess up several times today, and God is going to still catch me with his grace, which is amazing, if I use all of my energy from here on out, I'm still borrowing his breath, his body that he gave me, his life that's sustained by, by him. I can never repay him. All we can do is humbly and joyfully and gratefully say, I'll take it. But there are too many people in this world who on this mountain climb journey called life have a backpack that's filled with guilt because of the lack of understanding of this radical love and grace and forgiveness in Jesus. Now, on one hand, you have some people who, who would not call themselves Christians who just have sort of guilt weighing down like lead because they're aware of their own sinfulness, even though they might not call it sinfulness. They're aware of all the ways they've failed up until this point, and they're probably aware of tomorrow they're going to continue to fail. And they have this guilt. They have nowhere to lay it down. Maybe 
it ends up in comparing yourself to some other horrible people in history. I used to do this. Well, at least I'm not Hitler, you know. <laughs> uh, at least I'm not Stalin. I'm pretty great compared to that guy. Maybe. But that's only going to last for a moment, and you're still going to be aware, I'm not who I want to be, let alone what God wants me to be. I always wondered this, and I, I'm so thankful for uh, Daniel and... Uh, and uh, uh, just taking these steps on, on starting this program called Journey to Recovery, right? Journey to Recovery. Because I've often wondered this about Alcoholics Anonymous. Like there's one step in Alcoholics Anonymous where you're supposed to, you're supposed to write down all the ways that you fail different people in order to reconcile with those people. And I've often wondered, like, if I would write all the ways I failed up until that point and just be faced with pages upon pages of people that I've hurt and the people I've let down, and in that moment, Jesus does not step in and catch me with his grace, I don't know what I would do that with that information. Like, I think I would just walk out of there totally crushed over how messed up I am and how unable I am to, to actually, and some of the people I've hurt is actually people that I love the most in life. I'd probably walk out of there very discouraged. But you have people who simply carry this guilt around because there's nowhere else to put it down. And if you're in here and you carry this guilt around, if you're aware of your own failures, look around. That's why we're all here. <laughs> and I don't understand how Christians can be proud people. Because we're literally saying, when we come to Christ, saying, I'm so messed up that I need God himself to come into my situation and fix me. How can that lead to pride? Shouldn't. And even then, when we are filled with this selfish pride, he catches us with his grace. Man, if you're in here and you're walking around with this guilt weighing you down to you, I say the only way to rid yourself of this burden is at the bloody cross of Jesus Christ. He died for that sin. So that you might be covered by his sinlessness and be made just before God. And he teaches us to actually pray for this forgiveness. All you have to do is simply confess, Jesus, will you save me? And surrender your life to him. And I promise you this, there is no better place to be in life. This is one of the things that is, I'm starting to realize more and more. How you view God is going to drastically impact how you view what he tells you to do. So Jesus is saying, pick up your cross and follow me. If you have a very negative view of God and Jesus, you're going to think, oh, he doesn't want me to live my life. He doesn't want me to be happy or joyful. That's not the case at all. He loves you. And if Jesus says, come, pick up your cross and follow me, if you actually look at him and you realize God is good and he's out for our good and he's glorified when we are enjoying him, you actually say, okay, I will follow you even though I don't know how this is good because you are good. But unfortunately, I also see a lot of professing Christians carry the burden of guilt around because somehow... We might sing these songs that says, yes, Jesus paid it all. Amen. You know, but that somehow you think, or maybe you just simply live like that's not really true. Maybe you still live like, well, yes, Jesus paid it all, but I'm not really forgiven. 
until I pay him back. And to you, I would just encourage you to think about, and I may be putting this too frankly, but how stupid that idea is. Because I was there. I was there. And I'm not minimizing you. But then I realized, just man, I'm being so stupid. I'm trying to buy a gift. As, have you tried to buy any other gift before? No? Because that's not what you do with gifts. Right? <laughs> if it's a gift, by its very nature, it shouldn't be bought and it can't be bought. If it's a gift, you simply have to receive. How interesting it is for us to still walk around with this idea that I'm going to somehow earn this love. So you're clinging on, if you're in here and you're a Christian and you carry this guilt around, you're still clinging on to a burden that should have been left at the cross a long, long time ago. And it, I was like this for many years. I would say something that sounded really good. I would say stuff like, well, I know Jesus forgives me. I just can't forgive myself. And I, if, if you're in here, again, I've been there. So I'm not pointing fingers out there. But just think about the sentiment of what that sentence actually says about you and about God. If you say, Jesus forgave me, I just can't forgive myself. In effect, you're saying, yeah, I'm more righteous than Jesus. <laughs> I know God of the universe, he can forgive me, but I have a higher standard. Like, it's weird, but underneath that thought is actually pride that needs to be dealt with. And one of the things that helped me to deal with this is just to spend some time in God's word and it just slapped my sort of overinflated ego around a bit until I, I walked out of there just thinking, God, okay, it's your grace that saves me. You know, it's, it's your grace that saves me and I need to remind myself of that when self-hatred starts coming up, when guilt starts coming up. I need to remind myself I am forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because guilt is a bad companion to have on this mountain high called life. It offers no benefit and it only weighs you down. So today, and as we do every day, is we implore you, come to the cross of Jesus where your debt has been paid, where guilt is taken care of. And don't go fishing in the sea of forgetfulness. That's what, that's what we do so often. We, we lay our guilt and sinning before God. He forgives us and throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. And there we are with our stupid rowboats trying to fish up again the guilt that was dealt with a long, long time ago. Don't do that. Surrender your life to him where you'll find peace for your needy soul. And once again, if you've tasted of this amazing grace, give your life to this. Give your life. This is also a verse, not only for us, but also hopefully a verse that causes us to say, man, I want my friends to experience this. I want my family to experience this. Not because I want to show them I'm right, but I love, I, I quote this all the time, DT analysis put it this way, we are but beggars pointing other beggars to where a feast can be found. Once we've tasted of the feast in Jesus Christ, of course, I want other people that I love to experience this. Pray towards that end of others running to Jesus. Give your time and your talent, your treasure to see people come to Jesus. Use your tongue to proclaim Jesus when opportunities arise. And that's probably a key phrase in there, <laughs> when opportunities arise. <laughs> I've heard some interesting stories of like, how can I make this 
conversation about Jesus somehow. <laughs> Talking about, uh, I don't know, pray towards this end. Because ultimately, the most important decision of life is the decision that revolves around what do we do with this forgiveness that Jesus is offering us? And when we pray, because remember, this is a prayer, even though we're dwelling on a lot of what this means, we are to pray for our forgiveness and for others to be forgiven. And also, as we marvel over what Jesus has done to earn our forgiveness, let it drive you to worship. And uh, of course, worship, you know, God and his forgiveness of Jesus by sort of thinking about this, being thankful for it. Um, sing some songs. This Does anyone still do that, by the way? Does anyone like make songs just on their own? Because I think Netflix always wins that. Oh, okay, Hilton is the weird person that makes songs, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like that used to happen way more in the day of being thankful to God and just like writing a song or a poem about it. Um, but let's remember that also Romans 12, um, as, as I think was, was referenced earlier, it actually teaches us that all of life is worship. Worship is not uh, just a, an hour and a half window on a Sunday that we do every week. It's actually how I wake up on Monday and Tuesday and well, I'm not going to recount the whole week. You know how it goes. Like it continues on. All of life is worship. Romans 12 says we are to be a living sacrifice. Sounds like an oxymoron. Like, are, am I supposed to be a sacrifice? Because sacrifice is typically dead or living. You know? But he's saying, die to yourself and live for Jesus. All of a life is worship. So when we give ourselves to worship God for his forgiveness... One of the things that happens is forgiveness of God must flow to us and through us to others. Like, uh, has anyone been to the Dead Sea? It's pretty amazing. You can sort of just sit in there and float. Uh, one of the characteristics of the Dead Sea is that it takes in fresh water, right? But when that water hits the Dead Sea, doesn't matter how fresh that water is. That water is dead and everything in it, any fish in it is dead. It's too much salt in the Dead Sea. And I'm sure some scientists here, you can talk to Kelvin about the complications of what happens in the Dead Sea. But stuff dies in the Dead Sea. I know that. And I, I know one of the reasons why it dies is because there's no outlet. It only takes in, never lights out. So stuff just goes there to die. Um, if we are to be the type of people that simply always just receive, 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 and never give, it's actually not going to be beneficial for us. If our plan is to simply receive forgiveness and not give forgiveness out to others, we risk becoming the parable in Matthew 18 when, when uh, Jesus is talking about the unforgiving debt, debtor, right? He goes to the king he owes the king an amount he can never repay with his entire lifetime of work. He can never repay this debt. And the king decides to forgive him. And he walks out really happy about what's happened. He is forgiven the debt he could never repay. And he meets another guy who owes him money. And it's way smaller than what he owed the king, but he refuses to forgive him. And he refuses to actually show any grace. He wants penalty to be in place for his debt towards him, not realizing 
what had just happened with the king. Well, the king hears of this, and what he does is say, no, you know what? Actually, if you're going to be this way, I'm going to make you pay as well, and you're going to be in prison until you pay. If we simply plan on receiving forgiveness without giving it to others, we probably do not understand the radical nature of the forgiveness of Jesus and just how overwhelmingly large our debt was to begin with. In order for us to radically forgive, if it, like, and that's, this is one of the things that, that always, it makes me uh, fidgety. <laughs> when, when people want to take the morality of scripture, but they want to take God out of it. Because God is not only from him because he is good, comes everything that is good. And so he is the reason for morality and what is good. But also he is the driving force behind it. As Christians, we must realize this. When we are doing good, it's not simply so that we can earn our way to God because we're saved by grace alone. So why are we doing this? Because of who he is. So the gospel is not only something you graduate from, the good news of like, I'm saved by grace. It's not only something you need in the beginning of your walk with Christ. His grace is actually the thing that is the fuel that keeps us going and is the reason why we love, why we forgive. If you need a reason to forgive your spouse and you feel like they're not being very loving in that moment, look to Jesus. You need a reason to forgive your kids or your parents, look to Jesus. In order for us to radically forgive others, we first have to come to discover the depths of our own depravity and sin to realize just how radically we have been forgiven. Because the problem is for some people, and I realized that in the beginning, like I mentioned that some non-Christians deal with this guilt. Also, some don't. That's a problem. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the sermon about that. But even in that, like they don't realize their own sinfulness. And a lot of Christians don't realize that their own sinfulness. And the thing is, if, you know, if I don't realize just how messed up I am, <laughs> my thankfulness to God is lessened. When we come into contact with his grace, how can I not forgive others the small ways they sin against us? Now, the importance of us needing to forgive others, those who sin against us, is not very actually often highlighted today. I don't know about you guys, but there's a lot of movies and TV shows and books I've read that actually revolve around the opposite of forgiveness. <laughs> it's, it's someone like seeking their revenge. And sometimes you're like, the whole episode, the movie is geared so that you actually cheer them on, like, yeah, get that revenge. And uh, there's not a whole lot of just movies that they yeah, someone walked through something horrible and then they just forgave the person and the end, credits flow, you know. Not many people want to watch that for some reason. But the Bible tells us that ultimately we are to leave God to be the judge of all things. Um, Romans 12, 19 teaches us that. And we are to walk the same road that Jesus walked. Just think about this. If Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, which is, if you want to be a Christian, you need to follow me, then our faith is actually about following him down this road of forgiveness. And remember that when Jesus calls us to walk the hard paths of life, it's not because he hates us. 
It's not because he uh, simply wants to remind us, I'm boss and you do what I tell you to do. It's actually for our benefit and our good. Because what happens is when we hold on to anger and bitterness and we let it fester and grudges, we let it fester. It's like drinking poison and then somehow in our own heads thinking to ourselves that somehow that's going to hurt the other person. That's not how this works. And by the way, that's, that's from someone else. I, I just forgot who, who said it that way. When we wallow in our bitterness and grudges, more than likely the other person is not actually thinking about us. Have you, have you experienced this? Have you allowed someone to get this control of your life where you're just angry at that person and it's ruined not maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe months of your life and you're constantly thinking about that person? If we were able to set it up like a film and quick cut over to the other person's life, I promise you, they're not thinking about you. As you are there dwelling in your anger and bitterness, they're probably going about their daily business, not thinking at all about what you're thinking about that. Going about their daily life. But what happens when we give ourselves to this, when we hand this influence and power over to someone else, you're allowing them to have control over what your future is like, how you enjoy your days, how you, uh, what you do, how emotionally stable you are, how spiritually good you are. And it's all being dictated by this person who's just living rent-free in your heart and your head. So when we walk the road of forgiveness, it's difficult, but like everything else in life, when Jesus tells us to do something, even though it sounds very difficult, it's actually for our good and our flourishing. But before we dive into what the forgiveness does not mean, I, I want to highlight the other importance that Bible prescribes to forgiveness. And actually, it comes right after the Lord's Prayer. So right after he, he teaches them to pray the Lord's Prayer, he says these drastic words that I feel like are not really talked about very often because this is serious. So Jesus is talking about forgiveness and he says this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's serious. We're talking about like eternal consequences for holding on to bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. In the mind of Jesus, forgiveness is not an option for the follower of Jesus. It comes with the reality of being called a follower of Jesus. Walking, you know, walking in forgiveness is actually assumed and expected of us. And here, again, much like the parable in Matthew 18, he's highlighting the fact that you cannot receive forgiveness from the king unless you let that forgiveness flow to others in your life. If you do not let forgiveness flow to others, you have not understood just how great the debt that God has forgiven you for. I have, I have a feeling that somehow, like, some people, they think of... It's like, yeah, we have the regular Christians and then we have the super Christians that have like, yeah, like forgiveness is sort of the extra add-on that you have on a burger or something like that. But um, there's not an extra add-on. This is assumed in the basic model, if, if we put it like that. So uh, this is the basic Tesla model 
without any of the extra benefits, right? This is assumed of all of us to walk in forgiveness. How seriously does the Bible talk about needing to forgive? Jesus is literally here saying, this is a salvation issue. That if you do not forgive others, you probably don't understand how God has forgiven you. That is intense. Because... I mean, James, I'm, I'm thinking about James 2.17 says, faith without works is dead. If we don't forgive, it shows that we do not yet understand the forgiveness of God towards us. Now, a lot of things maybe like, this takes on very practical terms when we start thinking about our marriages, our relationship with our friends and family with our crazy uncle or whatever, you know, you have that person in your life that's just difficult to deal with. Remember this in your marriages. If you need a reason to love and forgive each other when you don't feel like they deserve it, look to Jesus and his radical forgiveness towards us when we didn't deserve any of it. When you know you should ask for forgiveness from God and others and your ego is getting in the way, again, look to Jesus who laid aside every ounce of pride and was humiliated by the crowd. And the thing is, he actually deserved all the praise and honor and glory. We must be people who are quick to ask for forgiveness and quick to hand out forgiveness because we all know we need and have received forgiveness in Jesus. So be quick to forgive your kids Here's one radical idea that I've learned that, that actually impacts how my kids view me and the faith as well. Uh, be quick to ask your kids for forgiveness. I feel like that's not very often happening in, in modern society um, because we assume that they just like, no, you just need to get with a program and, and uh, follow my orders. Be quick to ask for forgiveness of them when you react in a sinful manner, when you're being selfish, when you assumed bad motives on their part and it wasn't the case, it really has an effect on you because you're humbled. There's, there's nothing more humbling in this world than going on your knees and asking for forgiveness from a five-year-old, let me tell you. And it has an effect on your kids as you show them what repentance actually looks like in practice. When you seek forgiveness from them and ultimately when you tell them, I need forgiveness from God as well. But I want to end with this. What does forgiveness actually look like and mean? Because I also think a lot of harm has been done with this idea of forgiveness in the past and in the present. So if we're called to forgive, for instance, if we have a victim of abuse, do we tell them, well, just forgive? Do we tell them to stay within the abusive scenario and or relationship? Like, uh, here's one thing that I, I watched my dad go through. His, his mom, my grandma, was murdered, and he confronted his guy in jail saying, I, I forgive you. That was one of the things that made me, like, wonder about this whole Christianity thing. Maybe there's something to this, because this is crazy. But if a man commits murder, for instance, does it mean that if my dad forgives him, then there's no consequences for him? There's no jail time? There's no... Does forgiveness always mean that there's full reconciliation? Now, it seems to me, because I've personally been sort of wrestling with these questions for the past couple of months, actually, because I've been thinking, okay, what does love do 
We're told in scripture, you know, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I'm facing a difficult scenario and I'm thinking, well, am I just supposed to stubbornly endure? Like, and scripture also tells us, you know, that if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So I'm thinking, is this, does this depend on me? Can I live peaceably in this situation? But the conclusion I've sort of coming to is in forgiving others, we are not to minimize the hurt that's been caused or the righteous anger that it's spurred on, but rather we're deciding not to dwell on it. Now, there's this verse in Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, because he says there are, there, there are certain scenarios where you should be angry, right? Certain things you see happening, certain words that people say that should anger you. If you see a kid being abused by someone or slapped around and you don't get angry, there's, there's something wrong. We should be angry sometimes. But here, Ephesians 4.26 tells us, be angry, but do not sin. And how, how do we be angry and do not sin? Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the dwell. So here, here's, once we start dwelling on the anger, that's when it becomes a problem. That's when bitterness starts to arise. That's when uh, all these things start to affect how we feel and, and, and how we're doing spiritually. Forgiveness does not mean that there are no longer consequences for actions in the past but rather that you will put judgment into the hands of God and lay down your burdens at the cross and you look to Jesus. So walking in forgiveness does this wonderful thing is the refusal to allow your past to dictate your future actions, emotions, or spiritual health. And if you're in here and you faced abuse, it looks like running into the arms of Jesus while also calling for help from the church. And if you're facing abuse, that means calling help from the authorities too, because there are consequences to actions. Allowing wisdom to dictate that you would also like, don't give continued opportunity to an abuser to get more chances to continue their abusive work. That's what wisdom would tell us to do. In cases of murder, forgiveness is the wounded party letting go of hatred and bitterness at the cross, while the consequences for the crime committed still stand for the murderer. Now, in these scenarios and many other examples, you can walk in forgiveness without having the ability to take away the consequences for past behavior or to see reconciliation occur to a fool. And one thing that's broken my heart is having the harrowing experience to hear people I love talk with me about horrible scenarios that they walked through that's crushed me to hear. And I've also had the honor to see some of them, some of those same people who walked through scenarios I could not imagine walking through, let go of hatred and bitterness and fear of the past. And what they do or, you know, allow that to dictate what they do, what they say, or how they worship right now. And then on the other hand, I've, I've had people I love descend into chaos as they've allowed that unforgiveness to turn into bitterness. And it's just chaos and decay starts taking over. They start looking for numbness in all sorts of places and all sorts of things. And all of a sudden their life just comes worse, 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 worse. 
Others, I've seen their maturity and faith and joy as they walk the hard path of Jesus, the road of forgiveness. But the question for us, as we give ourselves to be the people of prayer, is what will be in our backpack on this mountain called mountain climb called life? Will it be bitterness? Will anger be weighing us down? Will guilt be weighing us down? Because I can promise you this. Yes, there are spells of life that are really easy to walk through. You can skip through them, singing a joyful song in your head. But then there's also the valleys that are difficult and lonely. And each step is going to get more difficult. And if you carry that guilt and that anger around, it's not going to be good for you. So I ask, will you grasp for the grace of God that eliminates your guilt towards him? And will you allow that forgiveness to come to you and flow through you to others? So as we pray, this prayer of pleading for forgiveness and a promise to walk in forgiveness, we are reminded of just how much we need Jesus. We need him to forgive us. We need him to be our example. We are also reminded of the importance of our mission to share this with others, just how crucial life with Jesus is. And we walk in the joy of life as we exchange our heavy burdens for the light and joyful burden that we have from Christ. So as we pray, let us plead for forgiveness and promises uh, and promise forgiveness. And again, not simply as nice ideas or empty phrases or nice sounding words, but actually when we walk in here on Monday, tomorrow, let's remember we are to live as a living sacrifice. So I'm going to open us up for prayer. And then if you want to jump in and pray anything at all, and you're welcome to jump in and pray. Once there's been silence for a little bit, I'll jump in. And then we're going to move on over to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, this is for the Christian. If you're in here and you're not a Christian, don't feel awkward about not participating in this. Um, but if you decide today, if anyone here, if you've decided to follow Jesus, you trust in him as your savior, and you're going to lay down your life, and you're going to follow him, that's what makes you a Christian. There's no ritual, no, uh, yeah, no ritual that has to take place or anything like that. If you have decided those two things, I will lay down my life and follow Jesus and he's my savior, then please participate with us in remembering what he did for us on the cross. So what we do is the broken bread reminds us of the broken body of Jesus on the cross and the juice reminds us of the blood that flowed for us. Just as food nourishes the body, this reality of what Jesus has done nourishes the soul. And so let me pray, Father, help us not be hypocrites. Help us not just talk about forgiveness as nice ideas. Help us not just sound like we've really genuinely studied the topic of forgiveness, but help us walk in it. Help us walk with this, you know, guilt at the, at the bottom of the lake of forgetfulness. You have dealt with our sin. You have dealt with our shame. You took it upon yourself. And how stupid of us if, it, if we would try to take it upon ourselves again, something that you've rid ourselves of. So Father, I pray for all of us in here today, may we walk out of here and into this week with the joy of knowing that you have died in our place with the joy of knowing that we have been justified in your presence. How awesome it is to know that because of you, we can know that these 
fleeting pleasures of this world and the fleeting pains of this world are that. They are fleeting. And one day we will be in eternity with you. Father, as we dwell on this forgiveness, may we radically forgive one another as we are bound to make mistakes as we so regularly do. As we definitely need to show grace to one another, help us grow in that as a church. Help us grow in worshiping you for what you've done, but also allow that to flow to others. Father, as we dwell on the fact that your son taught us to pray, forgive us knowing what it would entail for that prayer to be answered. We are thankful today that it has been answered. As we pray, forgive us our debts. We are also reminded of the fact that you have at the cross forgiven us our debts by taking on our debts, our sins, our shame, the wrath that we have earned upon Jesus. As we marvel over the grace that we have found in Jesus, may we allow that grace to drive us on to glorify you in all of life and what we say and what we do and how we think, how we spend our time, everything else. Help us to enjoy you and glorify you. Amen. What an awesome anthem to end this week as we remember that our time of gathering is coming to a close, but our week of worshiping God has just begun. So let us live for the glory of Christ. Father, give us the strength that we need um, to navigate all of life's challenges, to give us the wisdom we need to make the right choices. Help us follow you and see you in every single circumstance we face this week. May we use every opportunity when it comes to using our, our time and talents, our treasures and our tongue to worship you. Uh, help us, help us to live for your glory, Father. Help us to glorify you, uh, not only in what we say, but also in what we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I pray that God would bless you and keep you as you go into this week. And like uh, like uh, Elliot said earlier, we're going to be having a uh, family dinner. Well, family, like if you're here, you're a part of the family now. So um, like, uh, man, I just thought of the Fast and the Furious memes. Um, okay, uh, there's family lunch out there. So it was awesome worshiping with you guys today. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kirka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.